Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I had gotten a scholarship from my dad's union, and I had to go to the union for the ceremony. Jessica Custer grew up in Hardwick, New Jersey. She graduated from high school in 1995. They give a little speech about your high school history, and then they say what school you're going to before you come up to collect your plaque. And when they said, you know, and Jessica Custer's going to be going to Oxford, like, you know, the whole room gasps. Like, holy God, oh my God, she got into... It it was that reaction everywhere. There was a map on the wall at our high school showing where each of the seniors from that year had been accepted for college the next year. Jen Mills lived across the country in Redmond, Washington. And it was mainly a map of the U.S. So I asked them to add England to the map so that they could show that I was going to Warnborough slash Oxford. So about that Warnborough slash Oxford thing, the University of Oxford isn't just one institution. Oxford is made up of almost 40 individual colleges, and every student attends one of them. They have separate histories and their own dining facilities and residence halls. They have names like Exeter College, Lincoln College, and Hartford College. Jen and Jessica got accepted to Warnborough College. So did Ian Schuler. All right. This is the letter from Warnborough College dated 20th April, 1995. Dear Ian, this letter is to wish you a warm welcome to Warnborough College and to Oxford, and to congratulate you on the credentials. and Ian lived in the small factory town of St. Mary's, Pennsylvania. I was so hungry to learn things. I, I wanted to go to a place that was a bastion of learning, right? And I felt like I was coming from a place that was the opposite of that. This is a great opportunity. These three students believed that studying at Oxford would be a transformative experience, that it was well worth the $21,000 annual tuition. Even though I had full-ride scholarships from a couple of colleges that I had to give up in order to do it, we thought, this is an academic institution that has enough prestige that it would be worth it. This is, you know, the best shot. If I get my degree from Oxford, I can go to any graduate school I want. That's an open-door invitation. I'm golden. In the late summer of 1995, these three teenagers and dozens more like them set out on the trip that would change their lives. The flight to England was the first time I was ever on a plane. I bought the biggest suitcase I could find because I didn't know when I would be coming back. My trunk was slightly over the weight limit, and the very, very kind person uh, let it go. (laughs) We get into London. There is a shuttle there to pick us up like a big passenger van. We get on the shuttle. And drove for a bit. It's, you know, a bit of a distance from Heathrow. And then after driving for a while, you see Oxford, and it's like, oh my God, get all excited. I recall the driver pointing out all the things along the way as you're driving through Oxford. You start to see the giant stone buildings, 
You see the big spire of the old church tower. These are buildings that have been around longer than our country. You get all excited, you're like, oh my God, we're finally here, this is so cool. Definitely, there was a, a gravitas around the place. They were entering historic Oxford, a city that dates back to medieval times and the home of the oldest university in the English-speaking world. They were surrounded by all of those beautiful historic Oxford colleges. Exeter, Lincoln, Hertford, and more. Now, it was time to find Warnborough. The driver had to drop something off or pick something up somewhere downtown in Oxford. Uh, made his stop, got back into the van, and now we're like, all right, we're finally going to go to our college. And then you realize that you're now driving through the town <laughs> and not stopping. <laughs> and you're driving outside of the town and you're still not stopping. <laughs> and he continues to drive out of Oxford. Definitely people were sort of like, hey, where are we getting? What's going on? Jen Mills traveled to Oxford, too. But she didn't ride in one of those passenger vans. A Warnborough shuttle was supposed to pick her up at the airport but it never showed up. So that was my first sort of inkling of suspicion that something was funky. Jen caught a bus to Oxford. When she made it to the city, she tried to get a cab to Warnborough College. The first two taxis that I asked didn't know where Warnborough College was. So that was another big red flag. So the third took me out. It, it was very much out in the countryside up into the hills and through some cow pasture. We're like, we're kind of sitting silently. And then, you know, I remember kind of looking around. Finally, I'm like, all right, no one, I'm like, where are we going? <laughs> and they're like, we're almost there. It was probably 20 minutes outside of the center of town. And we pull in and I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Jessica and Jen and Ian had crossed an ocean to attend one of the world's most esteemed institutions. They ended up somewhere else. I think that was the time that for many people, they realized that this wasn't exactly what they thought they were signing up for. It was definitely an oh shit moment for me. Yeah, we have a problem. I'm Josh Levine. Today, the story of three American teenagers who went looking for some old-world academic excellence and got a different kind of education. This is One Year, 1995, Fake Oxford. Legend has it that ages ago, an Oxford scholar wandered a couple of miles outside the city. He was looking for a quiet spot, a nice, calm place to read some Thucydides. But then, out of nowhere, a wild boar charged at the scholar. Thinking quickly, he crammed his book into the animal's jaws, choking the beast to death. That's how that quiet spot got its name, Boar's Hill. 
That was the hill that Jessica Custer's van climbed up in the late summer of 1995, the home of Warnborough College. And so finally we pull up at this, you know, place that has the old-fashioned kind of rock wall around the outside. This looks like an estate that needs some love and attention. Warnborough College actually comprised two estates. One of them was the former palace of the Bishop of Oxford. The other had been the home of the United Kingdom's chief prosecutor in the Nuremberg trials. To me, I think you would describe it as maybe like the manor house in back and then like the servants' quarter (laughs) house kind of thing towards the front where they had us. So what happens when you get out of the van? Like what's the first thing that happens? They unloaded our bags and like took us into that building and then like showed me to my room. Um, A girl who was supposed to be my roommate was already there. And I just kind of looked at her and I'm like, this is it? And she's like, um, yeah. Jessica had just flown across the Atlantic on her own. She was exhausted and confused. She needed to get her bearings. She went to take a hot shower. And I looked up because they had these really high ceilings. And there were at least like four spiders in there that were literally like tarantula size. Nope, not showering today. What in God's name is going on here? After the spider incident, Jessica went looking for the other newcomers. There were students at Warnborough from Russia, Japan, and the Middle East. But the biggest contingent was from the United States. There were more than 30 new American students at Warnborough College, including Jessica and her roommate. That first day, a group of them got together in front of the main estate. That's when someone first said, um, you know, there's an issue with this isn't actually part of Oxford. And that's when I went, I'm sorry, what? And then they had said, you know, a couple of the students whose parents are with them went over to the main campus to talk. As I was walking up, um, they were coming back. And I remember the girls being in tears. I was like, oh, this is not a good sign. (laughs) Jessica went back to her room and tried to get some sleep. The next day, she and two other Americans ventured out from Boar's Hill to the real Oxford, Oxford University, on their own quest for answers. We spoke to a woman in the admissions office, um, and she's basically like, We are really sorry that this is going on, but these people have nothing to do with us. They have no affiliation with us. They've never had any affiliation with us. And we were like, well, isn't there anything you can do? No. Jessica and the other students left the real Oxford and went back to the estates on Boar's Hill. But they didn't stay for long. Their next move was to take a bus to London and visit the American consulate. We spoke to somebody at the consulate who was basically like, look, technically they're not breaking any laws, but it sounds like an extremely unsafe situation. And his advice was, you need to get out of there as soon as possible. So we um, stayed at a bed and breakfast that night in London. Um, And the best part of the trip was we went to see a movie. What movie did you see? The Usual Suspects. 
The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was, was convincing, convincing the world he didn't exist. It was a rather apropos movie. They returned to Warnborough the next morning. Back on campus, Jessica did what she'd been dreading most. She called her parents. And it took them a while to kind of grasp what was going on. Because it doesn't help when I'm hysterically crying. Um, and just being like, I'm you know, going to be going to the airport. I just want to go home. So you were feeling... Of like embarrassed or ashamed. Yeah, that it was it was my fault. I screwed up. You know, I should have known that it was a scam. Jessica's mom and dad told her that it wasn't her fault, and they tried to calm her down. When she got off the phone, she took a minute to compose herself. Then she demanded an audience with the man in charge, the president of Warnborough College, Dr. Brendan D. Tempest Mogg. And I'm like, look, here's the deal. I'm leaving. Um, I want my money back. And then he started giving me a hard time. And I had brought all the packets and the paperwork. So, like, I threw it in front of his face. I'm like, your own writing with your signature on it says, if we leave in this time frame, we get blah, 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 blah. I've only been here three days. I want my money. And he's like, well, I, I don't have authorization to do that right now. So I forced him to write a letter, like dated and whatever, um, promising me 50% of my money back. And I made him sign it. When you're kind of throwing this stuff in his face and making him write the Oh, letter, he was like, mad because he thought this is some 18-year-old kid that I can just use big words on and belittle and back down. And I was like, yeah, no, this is the wrong 18-year-old kid. You've pissed me off now and I'm the wrong one to mess with. Sorry, no. <laughs> Ixnay. <laughs> After her confrontation with the school president, Jessica went back to her dorm room. With her roommate watching, she started packing up her trunk. One thing Jessica hadn't brought with her was a computer. Warrenborough had encouraged her to buy one from the school because of the different voltage in the UK. I'm like, I'm taking the goddamn computer too. She's like, it's not gonna work. I'm like, I don't give a shit. I, don't, I can take it home and throw it out, but I paid for the damn thing and they're not getting it and selling it to somebody else, screw them. And she was just laughing at that point. She's like, I like you, I wish you'd stayed. We would have been friends. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, wait. Is this like a... How big is this computer? Is this like a tower? Oh, it was a big-ass tower. I'm like, I don't give a damn. I'm taking it, too. It, screw that shit. They're not getting it. I paid for it. It's mine. I took everything. I was so mad. If I could have taken the bedspread and the curtains, I would have fit that shit in there, too. Are you kidding me? Jessica and her computer flew back to the U.S. that same day. All told, about 15 Americans would leave in the weeks that followed. That exodus would become a major media story and an international education scandal. Lured by a legendary name, they got a crash course in the art of deception. Let's take a quick break. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. 
Warrenboro College had just a single telephone for students. One day, not long after the semester started, that phone started to ring. Ian Schuler picked it up. It was a reporter from the New York Times looking for a girl who I think had left already at that point. That person wasn't there, so she has to talk to me instead. That New York Times reporter was Sarah Lyle. She was working out of the paper's London bureau when she got a tip about Warnborough. It just sounded so weird. You know, we were told this was part of Oxford, and when we arrived, it was clear it wasn't part of Oxford. It was an intriguing story because it did play right into this notion of, you know, Americans being completely snowed by something they didn't understand. Ian Schuler hadn't gone home after he discovered the truth about Warnborough, but he did tell Lyle that the college had misled him. Other students said they felt humiliated and angry. One kid said that he had been told to prepare to sit at formal dinners once a week, the way they would at real Oxford colleges, and he bought a bunch of suits. He said he spent $1,500 only to discover that the the dining hall was actually a, a cafeteria and that they weren't having these dinners at all. After an initial round of phone calls, Lyle went to check out Warnborough College for herself. So my memory is that, first of all, the, the campus of this college was really pretty far from the Oxford city center. So I got there and I remember being really struck by how awful it was. It was like a bad summer camp, you know, it wasn't nice at all. Lyle didn't just chat up Warnborough students. She also interviewed a handful of school officials. They didn't want me on their campus. They were very, very uncomfortable. And it became clear that they didn't want these questions asked and that they had, you know, they were sort of making up answers on the spot. Those officials told Lyle that Warnborough had never claimed it was part of Oxford University. The CBS Evening News ran its own story. In that segment, a college representative said that the American students should have read their brochures more carefully. If a student came here under this apparent misapprehension, whose fault is that? I believe it's the student's fault. CBS also interviewed a handful of those American students. One of them was Jessica Custer, who by this point had gone back to the U.S. Everything that was sent to us said Oxford programs on it, Warnborough College. They stated numerous times how we were in one of the best academic environments in the world. Jessica says she never watched that CBS report, but she heard bad things from people who did. CBS's angle was that Americans like her had tried to sneak into Oxford through a back door. It's like the old joke. How do you get from Warnborough College to Oxford? Study harder. In 1995, there were two very different stories circulating about Warnborough College. A bunch of American students said that the school had misrepresented itself. Warnborough said the students should have known better. Was this just sort of an unfortunate thing that they misunderstood what the college was doing? Or was the college cynically using this language in an effort to straight up dupe them? What did the students know? What should they have known? And who was really to blame for what happened at Warnborough College? When I reached out to Jen Mills, Ian Schuler, and Jessica Custer, I wasn't sure what to expect. All I knew were their hometowns and that they'd passed on some top-notch schools to enroll at Warnborough College in England. 
USC, Northeastern, Northwestern. University of Washington, Reed College, University of Southern California. Carnegie Mellon, Johns Hopkins. NYU, Georgetown. You turned down Harvard and Princeton? Yeah, you know, I still feel like an ass. (laughs) Jessica and Jen and Ian have very different personalities. But it's amazing how much they have in common. All of them were big-time overachievers. So I basically finished all the classes that I needed to by my junior year. They ended up making new classes for me my senior year because there wasn't much for me to do. I was the editor of the school paper junior and senior year. I was on the bio team and the chem team and chess club and debate club. None of their families had much money. So going through high school, I was very focused on getting the best grades I could uh, and trying to get scholarships because we didn't have, you know, the means to really afford college. It was all going to be on student loans if I couldn't get scholarships. None of their parents graduated from four-year colleges, and none could offer their kids much guidance on college admissions. Jessica and Jan and Ian weren't the kind of students who had private tutors, but they were all very focused on school and very ambitious. And they knew the value of a degree from an elite brand name university. That's where it started for all of them, with the name, Oxford. Ian Schuler saw it when he took the SATs. Before you even start the test, in the intro thing, you fill out the Scantron bubbles of what are the schools that you want to send this to. Uh, And there's a big book there that you look through to get the codes. I I saw Harvard. I've heard of Harvard. I'm going to put that in. MIT. I've heard of MIT. That's a good school. I'm going to put that in. Then then I saw the section header said Oxford. Oh, Oxford. I've heard of Oxford. I'll fill that in as well. The school listed under that Oxford header was Warnborough College. Warnborough got the attention of Jen Mills at a college fair. As I was walking through, I came across a booth that said the Oxford programs. I picked up a brochure just out of curiosity and sent in an application. For these American teenagers, all that Oxford stuff was incredibly enticing. Jessica Custer got sucked in when she got a brochure in the mail. It was an impressive packet. Full-blown Oxford University photographs, the whole Oxford campus, talking about the library. I mean, it was the whole nine yards. The New York Times reporter Sarah Lyle saw that Warnborough brochure, and she noticed the Oxford University photographs. She asked a Warnborough representative to explain what was going on. He claimed just because you show photos of things that have to do with Oxford University in your brochure about Warnborough, that doesn't mean you're saying that Warnborough is part of Oxford University. It wasn't just the photographs. Warnborough's brochures had plenty of words, too. One packet was titled, The Traditions of Oxford, Oxford University, and Warnborough College. It said that Oxford, as a place, has spawned many great colleges, scholars, and ideas. It described Oxford University as a federation of colleges and halls, each entity having its own particular expertise. And how did Warnborough College fit in? The brochure called it a gateway for international students who'd been traditionally excluded from Oxford University. And that was the the squirmy language. The Oxford University is made up of many colleges. Warnborough is one of the colleges in Oxford. 
I was shocked. I was shocked at how deceptive it was. One document sent to prospective students included a statistic. Expected size of Oxford student body, all colleges, 15,500. But Warnborough wasn't an Oxford college. It'd be like if I put Reese Witherspoon's net worth on my own loan application. I'm sure it's an impressive number, but it has nothing to do with me. So yeah, very squirmy language. Still, those printed Warnborough brochures never said outright that it was a full-on University of Oxford college. There was something else, though, a piece of promotional material that went a bit further. Yeah, the CD was interesting. The CD was a kind of audio brochure. It was called Inspiring the Vision. Jen and Jessica and Ian all got it in the mail. So did at least 24 other American students. In the background of the CD, there were bells ringing. It sounded very prestigious. A great deal can happen in a thousand years. And Oxford University has seen it all. Oxford University. No other university in the world can offer the tradition, the status, the reputation that is inextricably woven into every building, every courtyard, every green common that makes up the Oxford campus. That's how the CD starts. A few moments later, there's a line about tomorrow's leaders and the next millennium. AD 2000 and beyond. That's followed by a montage of robot voices. When the robot stuff is finished, the narrator says Oxford five times in the span of 17 seconds. Oxford graduate. Oxford has continually produced Oxford's teaching staff. Oxford's heritage. Oxford's location. Oxford gets mentioned 13 times before the first mention of Warnborough. For over 20 years, Warnborough College has assisted overseas students to acclimatize to Oxford, enabling them to reach their full academic potential and to appreciate their Oxford opportunity the narrator does say one time that Warnborough is independent. As an independent institution, Warnborough College takes great care in offering courses that have special appeal for overseas students studying in Britain. But that moment passes quickly, and it's followed by some epic name-dropping. Mahatma Gandhi, Bertrand Russell, Albert Einstein, Madame Curie, Bernard Shaw, H.G. Wells, Gilbert Murray, and many others have all walked the halls and found a place of inspiration amongst Warnborough's 13-acre woodland campus. Gandhi, Einstein, H.G. Wells. None of them went to Warnborough College. They did walk the halls, I guess. They were house guests at one of the Warnborough buildings when it belonged to Gilbert Murray, a classical scholar who taught at the University of Oxford. That rundown of non-alumni comes near the end of the CD. Here's how it finishes up. Inquiries from the United States of America can be made by calling toll-free 1-800-95-OXFORD. I got very excited about it and played it for my mother, my father, my friends. There wasn't really a healthy dose of skepticism. <laughs> 
And we just thought, wow, this sounds pretty cool. And I played it, I think, for my high school guidance counselor as well. And uh, was called in by the principal of my high school to congratulate me on being accepted to Oxford. Jen Mills couldn't afford to visit England before she made her college choice. And in 1995, doing research on a foreign school wasn't easy. Internet access was a luxury, and there weren't all that many resources on the web. I mean, we didn't have Google, so, you know, I was, I was basically working off of what information I could find in the library, that sort of thing. Jen didn't find anything that made her feel suspicious. But Ian Schuller did see something that gave him pause. I do remember at some point, I don't know if it was in the library or where, I came across a list of the colleges that were part of Oxford. And Warnborough wasn't on that list. There were a few other W schools, but Warnborough wasn't. And I was, that was sort of my first, like, hmm. By the time Ian saw that list of Oxford colleges, he'd already bought his ticket to England. And he still had good reason to think that Warnborough College was on the level. For one thing, it was on a list of approved schools for federal student loans. According to the United States Department of Education, Warnborough was legit. They've got the federal loan codes. I can get U.S. loans. It's paid for one way or another. Let's do it. Jessica Custer, Ian Schuler, and Jen Mills all took out loans to go to Warnborough. When they got to England, they decided very quickly that this college on Boar's Hill wasn't what they'd bargained for. Jessica flew back home. But Ian and Jen, they chose to stay. I felt ashamed. I was afraid of freaking out my parents. And so I, I was just trying to find a way to make something out of it since I was already there. It was easy to rationalize staying because school was paid for. It was going to cost me more to leave than it was to stay. But it was also like, I didn't want to go back to St. Mary's, Pennsylvania. It was still going to be a, a neat adventure. About half of the Americans who went to Warnborough in 1995 stuck around after the first week. The students who did stay discovered something surprising. The Warnboro College experience wasn't all bad. The people who were teaching, some of them did actually have jobs teaching a class or two at a Oxford University College as well. And so some of the classes were actually quite good. There were four to six students per class, uh, so it was very one-on-one -on -one teaching. Something that you wouldn't get at a U.S. university, especially in your first year. My philosophy professor taught us how to sneak into the actual philosophy libraries on the Oxford campus uh, because we weren't technically allowed to go in. How did you sneak in? What's the secret? <laughs> it was just to go incognito, not try to check anything out. <laughs> and they wouldn't bother you, basically. Warnborough's American students took day trips to Stonehenge and the Cotswolds. They drank cheap beer at the Oxford Union and put together a makeshift disco in a shed. And just like undergrads at the real Oxford University, they complained about the quality of the food and the upkeep of their dorms. It, it was kind of us against the administration. All right, we're stuck in this situation. Let's just <laughs> say screw it and make the best of it. Ian Schuler mocked the Warnborough College administration in an underground newsletter called the WC, a play on the British term for a toilet. Ian also witnessed some minor insubordination when a group of students sprayed a fire hose off a balcony. 
They um, had everybody one by one come into an administrator's office and they interviewed everybody individually about the incident to try to track down who is responsible. Did you all say, I am Spartacus? <laughs> I don't know what other people said. I did say that I was there and that I did know who had done it and that I would not tell them who it was. The hijinks at Warnborough didn't last. Ian went back to St. Mary's, Pennsylvania before the year was over. Jen Mills went home for her grandmother's funeral and couldn't afford to return to England. I wanted to stay through the first term and at least get credit if I could have possibly transferred it. Of course, I realized halfway through that because the school wasn't accredited, there was no way I was going to be able to transfer credits. For Jen and Ian, that was the final blow. Warnborough College did not have the authority to grant degrees. Those classes that they'd kind of enjoyed, they wouldn't get credit for any of them. Warnborough didn't bring in a new batch of teenagers from the U.S. to replace the ones that came and went in 1995. Jen and Jessica and Ian didn't know it at the time, but they'd gotten caught up in a one-time scheme to recruit American high schoolers to Warnborough College. The man who signed off on that plan was the school president, Brendan Tempest Mogg. I just remember Tempest Mogg being very aloof. He was always sort of, you know, off in his villa, didn't let himself be seen too much. An arrogant prick. An absolutely arrogant prick thinks he's God's gift to the universe and thinks he's untouchable. Good morning, Josh. I'm Brendan Tempest Mogg president of Warmbrook College. We'll be right back. Brendan Tempest Mogg grew up in a suburb of Sydney, Australia. His mother wanted him to study medicine but career counselors told him he was better suited for sales, advertising, and marketing. In 1969, the young Tempest Mog took a big trip abroad, sailing on an ocean liner from Australia to the United Kingdom. Um, it was a graduation present for my parents, and I'd always wanted to go to England, and I thought, well, perhaps I could stay on a bit longer if I could find a place at a British university. Tempest Mogg got admitted as a graduate student to Hartford College. That's a legitimate University of Oxford college, with a history dating back to the 13th century. Tempest Mogg enjoyed all that Oxford the city and Oxford University had to offer. But he also dreamed of crossing the Atlantic. I think it was the uh, excitement, the razzmatazz, the atmosphere that I picked up from television, film programs, and so on that I think Everybody overseas always wanted to have that American experience. Tempest Mogg spent a year in the United States, teaching at a college in West Virginia. In 1973, he brought some of his students to study in the UK. Tempest Mogg's mother had bought a big Victorian house in North Oxford, and he used it as a school and dormitory. This was the beginning of Warnborough College. The idea was to get more exposure for these students and to gain a more worldly outlook. Was there something in particular about 
Oxford that was of interest to Americans? I'd say yes, because they'd, they'd heard, of, 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 obviously, about Oxford and probably seen the, some of the, the, the uh, movies about Oxford. Warnborough relocated to Boar's Hill in 1976. It called itself the American College in Oxford and offered semester abroad programs to students from the U.S., Asia, and the Middle East. Up until the mid-1980s, Warnborough didn't cause any massive controversies. That changed when the college made a bunch of empty promises about postgraduate programs. In 1987, BBC Radio broadcast a 25-minute expose on Warnborough, calling it a nightmare of inadequate teaching, poor living conditions and facilities, high costs, and low academic standards. The report also revealed that Warnborough has no official authority to offer degrees. Yeah, we used to call them schools of doubtful standing, um, or SODs. That's Phil Bradley. He was one of the experts quoted in that BBC report. In the 1980s, he worked at the British Council, a group that promoted British education to foreigners. It was Bradley's job to monitor those so-called schools of doubtful standing. I asked him what the requirements were back then to call yourself a college. Nothing at all. That's it. People could just make them up. If you're going to set up an academic organization that has no standing in the education world in the UK, that is not assessed by any government organization that, that, that checks these things, um, if you are doing that, yeah, you are just out to con people. When the BBC tried to interview Brendan Tempest Mogg in 1987, he said he was calling the police. Here's what he told me when I asked him about that report. I think there's, there's a small group of people that set themselves up as experts on all these um, new ideas and new uh, institutions and so on. And I think that um, those people have been active in trying to give bad press where, wherever we um, show success and so on. But Warnborough didn't show all that much success by Tempest Mogg's own admission. In 1990, he wrote a case study on the college. It said that Warnborough's enrollment had declined drastically after the BBC's report that the college had taken out a high-interest $2 million loan to solve an immediate financial crisis, and that the only way to pay off that loan was to recruit more students. Going into 1995, Warnborough struck upon a possible solution. For the first time in its history, the college decided to admit graduating high school students. Warnborough began marketing a full four-year program to American teenagers. I thought, yes, it, it, uh, it would be a new challenge. Um, and we thought, well, it didn't really matter where they came from, um, at what level. Let's give it a try. The students said that Warnborough's marketing was deceptive and implied that Warnborough was a part of Oxford University. What do you make of that claim? <laughs> that 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 that's foolish because if we had that type of marketing, then people would arrive and, and we'd have a, like huge problems. But it was only just this handful of, of of students. In reality, it was more than just a handful of students who felt deceived. In a civil lawsuit. 35 families said that a Warnborough representative had implied or stated outright that the college was a part of or affiliated with Oxford University. 
In that court case, Brendan Tempest Mogg said that if there were any misrepresentations, they weren't his fault. He blamed Warnborough's director of U.S. admissions, Mark Huck, the man who drafted the college's brochures. Huck blamed Tempest Mogg right back. He said that Warnborough's president had approved those brochures. And Huck denied ever suggesting that Warnborough was a part of Oxford. One thing we do know is that it was Brendan Tempest Mogg who came up with the concept for that promotional CD, the audio brochure called Inspiring the Vision. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to um, just say that Inspiring the Vision, the vision really was to provide an excellent learning experience to all those that wanted to learn more about studying in a different culture, in a different environment, and with a different system. Some of the students said that that CD was a part of the confusion, because the first sentence says, a great deal can happen in a thousand years, and Oxford University has seen it all. And while Oxford University has seen, and in some cases been responsible for advances in science, literature, technology, and industry over the last thousand years, the Oxford of Newton... It'd be a bit of saying like somebody going to study in, in, in Paris, saying, well, Paris is a wonderful city. It has great museums and art galleries and so on. If you want to experience Paris and get credits for a study program, then join blah, blah, blah institution. But it said Oxford University, not Oxford the city in that first sentence. So the analogy isn't quite right, right? Well, most, most of the uh, city is dominated by the university because in Oxford itself, if, I don't know if you've been there, but if you, if you go visit the city, the first thing Americans say is, where's the university? So the city, in a sense, is the university, and the university is the city. Looking back on all this, 26 years later, if this was all a scam, it wasn't a very good one. You can create the impression that your school is a part of Oxford University, but the students who come there will see for themselves that it isn't, and they'll tell people about it. A U.S. federal judge ruled in 1996 that Warnborough's promotional materials were misleading and could easily cause any observer to believe that Warnborough College is a part of Oxford University. He banned the school from the federal student loan program. Another judge in Washington state ordered Warnborough to pay $292,000 in restitution, all of the money it had received from three dozen Americans. Jessica Custer had made Brendan Tempest Mogg promise her that she'd get a refund. The court said she was owed $13,130. We got nothing. Zero dollars and zero cents. Jen Mills didn't get any money back from Warrenborough either. When she got home from England, she reapplied to the University of Washington. She got in, but this time without the scholarship she'd been offered coming out of high school. I had worked so hard through high school to enable opportunities that were not going to put an additional burden on my family, but that were going to give me an academic leg up and a leg up moving on into life that that had just kind of dissipated into thin air, I would say. The debt that Jen piled up to go to Warnborough took a toll on her family, financially and emotionally. 
my two brothers who were closest to me and next in line kind of didn't get the opportunity to go to college. And I think that situation, I mean, it wasn't all of the story, but that situation did have an impact on their future progression as well. Jen now lives in Switzerland. She worked in finance at Starbucks for 19 years. I had spent all of the money that I had getting to Oxford. Everything Ian Schuler had earned working at a fast food place, it was all gone. And so I had to start again, so I did work two jobs to be able to replenish my bank account. I worked at a factory from midnight to eight in the morning, and I worked at the Bonanza, the one sit-down restaurant that we had in town. Yeah, it was uh, frustrating. Ian didn't get his money back from Warrenboro either. He graduated from Johns Hopkins University. He's now the CEO of a technology company. What's the story that you would tell about what happened to you? I would tell people about the time I went to fake Oxford. I'd tell them that I went to this thing that was pretending to be Oxford, but it turned out that it really wasn't. I could have gone with the safe thing that I knew. I could have only gone to schools that I'd visited first. I took a risk. And that one didn't work out. I mean, or maybe it did. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, maybe there are things I got out of that that were super important for the path that I would take. Jessica Custer was the first person in her family to go to college. She was known as the smart kid, the one who'd always done everything right. Then when people are seeing me in town, like, Jessica, what are you doing here? Why are you home? And to see that horrified, pitying kind of look on people's faces... Um, it was extremely upsetting and disheartening because you kind of have this life plan set up and now this plan that you had is gone. The schools that had promised her scholarships had given that money away to other students. She ended up enrolling at Allegheny College and later transferred to Duquesne University. She now runs a group home for people with intellectual disabilities. I like what I do, but there are things that I may have done instead if I didn't have the amount of debt that I did and I had a little bit of wiggle room and leeway. So, you know, life plays out the way it plays out. Warrenboro went into liquidation a year after Jessica, Jen, and Ian left Boris Hill. But Brendan Tempestmog resurrected Warrenboro very shortly thereafter. It still exists today headquartered more than 100 miles outside of Oxford, in Canterbury, England. A school official told me that Warrenboro has 750 students worldwide, taking both online and on-site courses. That official also complained about Warrenboro's Wikipedia page. He said it's maintained by a secret cabal of editors who are out to persecute Warrenboro. I asked Brendan Tempestmog if there's anything he'd do differently about 1995. Yes, I think perhaps we should have kept to the model of just taking junior year abroad students who were more mature, more um, open to new challenges and um, were perhaps more visionary in what they wanted to achieve for themselves. So I guess what would you say now to the students who felt like they were duped in 1995? I think two words, move on. We've all had like bad experiences and setbacks and it's not sunny every day. And we just have to accept the 
uh, um, you know, the bad with the good, move on and put it down as a learning experience and perhaps yeah, um, if you know they've had children, they've been able to give them some extra wisdom from their own experience. Wow, that's harsh. <laughs> it is annoying that he has not gotten any perspective on this at all. I'm able to have some perspective on the thing. I was able to learn from that, and it feels like he should have to as well. I mean, if I was being really rude and candid, uh, I would probably say something to him like, you know, karma's a bitch, and at some point I hope you get yours, um, but that's not very adult. <laughs> If you like what you're hearing and want to support One Year, you should sign up for Slate Plus. Members will get an exclusive episode at the end of our season that's all about the making of our series on 1995. Sign up for Slate Plus at slate.com slash one year plus. You'll also get to listen to all Slate podcasts ad-free. That's slate.com slash one year plus. Next time on One Year 1995, one of the biggest ethical breaches in American medical history. She said that the FBI had gotten a hold of a, um, like a log, and they had a list of women whose eggs were taken or stolen. And I was on that list. One Year is produced by me, Josh Levine, and Evan Chan, with editorial direction by Loan Liu and Gabriel Ra. Madeline Ducharme is One Year's assistant producer, and we got additional production help from Shana Ra. You can send us feedback and ideas and memories from 1995 at oneyearatslate.com. And you can call us on the One Year hotline at 203-343-0777. We'd love to hear from you. Our mix engineer is Merritt Jacob. The artwork for one year is by Jim Cook. Special thanks to Jason Cronshaw, Alan Contreras, George Gollin, John Baer, Carol Ressler, John Mellon, Alicia Montgomery, Christina Cotarucci, Derek John, Jared Holt, Laura Bennett, Allison Benedict, Holly Allen, Katie Rayford, Asha Saluja, Amber Smith, Seth Brown, Rachel Strom, and Chow Tu. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with more from 1995 next week. <laughs>